0: The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News.
1: This week on The Views Room, Australia's climate policy could be a damp squib. Meanwhile, Netflix Squid Games is anything but. Have a listen. Hello and welcome to The Views Room, the weekly podcast from Reuters Breaking Views, the financial opinion and commentary team at Thomson Reuters. I'm Katrina Hamlin, Breaking View's global production editor in Hong Kong, and this week I will be talking to my colleague Anthony Down under to learn about Australia's lacklustre climate policy. As Anthony tells us, there has been progress, but there's also considerable room for improvement if Prime Minister Scott Morrison is to avoid accusations of greenwashing. Then we turn to our global editor, Rob Cox, and columnist Jen Sava, who take a break from watching Squid Games to explain why the blockbuster show matters to Netflix. I'm Katrina Hamlin in Hong Kong, and I am speaking with Anthony Curry in Melbourne. Anthony, you've been writing lots about Australia and its climate policy or lack thereof. Would you like to tell us what's the latest news on this? Because it has been changing, right? The
2: climate is changing for climate change in Australia. Ho, ho, ho. I know I should I should go on stage with all these jokes. So there's been a few things happening actually down here, all sort of seemingly and wonderfully coalescing around the fact that obviously we've got the COP26 UN climate meeting starting in Glasgow at the end of the month. So a few things. Let's just go through the list very quickly. First of all, a few weeks ago in September, the Central Bank came out with a report looking at what may happen to Australia's main exports like iron ore and coal and gas if um, and when people get towards net zero and reducing emissions. Scott Frydenberg, who is the treasurer down here, the, the finance minister, then gave a speech earlier this month saying, you know, we've got to start thinking about climate change a lot more because our banks get a lot of funding from abroad. We get a lot of investment from abroad as a country and investors are putting lots of pressure in, and really it's time for us to change, um, which really was great to hear. But also, as you can tell from my voice, is it's kind of, isn't this about time? Why are you saying this just now? Well, we can go into that later, I'm sure. And there's been a couple of other things as well. Business Council of Australia came out and said, we think net zero is a really good idea and we should reduce emissions by 60% by 2030. This is the same lobby group that two years before had argued against any 2030 changes to that kind of scope, thereby going against the opposition Labour Party and helping the current government to win the election. And there's been a couple of other things as well, one of which is we're probably going to to see some kind of net zero plan come out this week from the government There's a bit of an issue there. The government is a minority government. It relies on the National Party, which is a really small party. That's five, six percent of the vote, very rural and mining focused party to keep its its votes above the threshold in Parliament. And the Nationals really don't like the idea of net zero. So they're still discussing what to do. And the government may well need their backing to get anything done. So there you go. Potted history uh, uh, as, as much as I could fit in quickly
1: well sitting outside of australia there's a a few other headlines that i've noticed um in the last couple of years i'm thinking fires floods uh giant hailstones most recently yes and so remembering that and and listening to everything you've just spoken about i'm kind of struggling to understand why doesn't australia have some sort of net zero target or, or policy already
2: well, I, I would say there there are two reasons. One is politics. One is money, and they are very closely intertwined, as as these things often are. On the political side of things, um, climate change has and the debates around it have probably accounted for the axing of at least four if not five prime ministers over the past decade or so Uh, and usually that's been done by internal party politics not necessarily at the ballot box so and one of the reasons why um, this gets so uh, nasty is because In recent elections over the past 10, 15 years, either the party who wins doesn't have a majority or has a very thin majority, majority, and so everyone's worried about what one or two votes going one way or the other might do. So it's just made it for a much more heated, pardon the pun, atmosphere. On the money side of things, Australia is a very mining-heavy economy. It gets a great deal from services, but a lot comes from mining. As Prime Minister Scott Morrison said recently, Australia is very good at digging stuff out of the ground. Wonderful comment. And it's not just how they're used here. um, It's also there's a lot of exports as well. So it does make uh, for a very difficult decision. I I don't want to undermine or play down the fact that it can be very difficult to work out how to transition an economy away from very heavy fossil fuel dependence. But that's no reason not to try.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are other countries that have, you know, perhaps not the same problems, but but certainly, you know, financial and political reasons. Um, sitting in Hong Kong, I, I can't help but think of China, for example, which yep. does have quite ambitious goals for all that, you know, y- you can sort of criticise that use of coal or whatever. So are there other impediments aside from the ones that you just mentioned?
2: Um, well, look, I, I, I think to a degree there's, there's also, despite all of the problems this country has had over the few years, over the past few years, with what we still call natural disasters, but we probably shouldn't. So you mentioned the floods, the wildfires, droughts. It doesn't seem to transfer to the ballot box, and so you have still got a very sort of short-termist, fossil fuel-friendly government in control, and I, th- I think that's really what dri- drives it the most. If you look actually at the, the various states and territories of Australia. There are about eight of them, I think. Um, and then most of them are states. So there's a couple of um, territories. All of them have net zero plans for 2040, 20, 2050. 20, Tasmania actually already has kind of hit it and has become a carbon sink, largely because it has a lot of hydropower. So you know, you could just look at the, the, the various territories and states here and say, well, haven't you already got a net zero plan? Haven't you already got lots of plans? You know, New South Wales has done a pretty good job at trying to incentivize electric vehicle adoption, for example. And the Victorian state, which is where I am in Melbourne, has done a pretty good job of trying to help fossil fuel dependent companies to wean themselves off. So there was a deal earlier this year between the government and Energy Australia, owned by a Hong Kong company, to close one of the most polluting coal plants in this hemisphere. So there is action going on, but at the federal level, it's really not been happening enough.
1: That said, I've, I've heard that the government is ahead of its 2030 target. So that's good, isn't it?
2: Well, there's being ahead of targets and there's being ahead of targets. I mean, what's the old phrase? There are lies down lies and statistics. And yes, if you if you look at the pure headline figures, the chances are actually let me just take them now. Yeah, twenty one percent decrease from two thousand and five to roughly now. And that is, means they'll probably track towards being above their sort of 26 to 28% target by 2030. But this is playing with numbers. And, and here's the deal. Firstly, 2005 was the year that the Australian government chose a conservative government, right-wing government, in 2015 in Paris. Um, what we have in government now is still the same iteration of those governments. They've just changed prime ministers a couple of times. They chose that year because that is when land use was getting to a peak of being cut down. So, a lot of emissions coming out uh, from cutting down uh, lots of trees and and other things. So, they kind of cherry-picked that number. They knew that was going to come down. Also, you've got a couple of other things getting in the way. One of the most obvious ones to me is you have a massive water scarcity problem from about 2017, 18 onwards. As a result, emissions from agriculture fell, like, I'm just looking at now, about 20%. Now, that's in part because you've Not got as many cows and other herd cattle, and you're not doing as much farming that emits as many gases as you used to. Chances are that could turn around. Also, we're looking at the effect of the pandemic as well, and that's that's taken things down another sort of seven, eight, nine, ten percent over the past year. And you've got to think that some of those are going to come back, right? Also, and yes, we do talk about net zero, and yes, it is all about bundling it all up, but. The point about net zero is to try and get people to not just net out their emissions with other things they can do, but also to try and reduce the emissions out there, right? If you look at things like stationary energy, which is coal plants, fugitive emissions, which is the methane and other emissions that um, coal plants and coal miners and gas miners and others don't care to stop coming out of the atmosphere, those have increased a lot over the past 15, 16 years. And that is the crux of what needs to change.
1: You've been quite critical of some of the catchphrases and policies that the government does have in place. I'm thinking of the gas-fired recovery and technology, not taxes. Can you explain a little bit what is there now, what we might have if there is some kind of net zero plan released in the near future, and what the actual plan ought to look like?
2: Yes, I think what you're going to see is a continuation Of policies that are already out there. So, the whole idea of gas fired recovery and technology, not taxes, is basically to keep fossil fuel companies going. Now, I'd say the government's probably more or less given up on coal as a major source of power generation in this country, although it wants, although it knows it's going to stay around for a while. Um, it does want to keep exports going. It really, really wants to keep exports going. In fact, we just saw uh, come out of uh, the BBC and Greenpeace have put have got a report out saying that uh, the Australian government tried to get uh, wording about cutting coal taken out of the most recent United Nations report on climate change is coming out. So no surprise there. What these policies are about is saying, OK, let's incentivise Things like say carbon capture and storage, which is a great idea, i.e., you can capture the carbon that's emitted at the source of drilling, pump it back into the ground, and therefore you can then use the gas you've you've taken out either to sell to be used elsewhere. Of course, there are a lot of more emissions from, from burning the gas, or to use the gas to power blue hydrogen, which is the other way of trying to reduce emissions so you create hydrogen which ought to be emissions free um, if you can manage to store the carbon underground problem is that carbon capture and storage unlike say solar power and wind power the price of that has not come down there's been no real successful at scale use of it and every single site is going to be different because you you rely on the geology in place as opposed to let's put the solar panels out where the sun is so it's a much harder thing to use but by incentivizing that you're making it seem as if you can keep fossil fuel going. And technology, not taxes, is the same thing. That's basically the government saying we're not going to incentivize solar panels and wind. I mean, they do a little bit, but not enough. And we're not going to incentivize electric vehicles. We're going to incentivize fossil fuel companies. That's basically what it means. What you want to see, to get to your second part of your question, is a lot more. Proper thinking about firstly how to reduce emissions by 2030 bigger than that they've already committed to and they're probably not going to do that but that's that's really what gets you on the path to net zero i.e net zero starts now and is to get the emissions down as far as possible by 2050 not forgetting about it until 2049. start talking about getting emissions down now have independent verification of what you're doing start incentivizing all manner of ways to reduce emissions across all parts of the economy you know transport energy agriculture, everything. Otherwise, you're just not going to get there.
1: So you're going to be watching Scott Morrison pretty closely when he gets to Glasgow, right?
2: Oh, I'm afraid to say I will, yes.
1: (laughs) Okay. well, I look forward to talking to you about all of this again after that.
2: Great. Thanks, Katrina.
1: Thanks, Anthony.
0: Jen Saber, so what have you been doing besides watching Squid Game?
3: (laughs) That's it. (laughs) That's pretty much it. That's it. You got got me, Rob.
0: (laughs) So but you're doing yeah. it you're doing it in the pursuit of understanding a company you cover well and, yes. and for a long time, which is Netflix. This has been like their tentacles are all over this deal. Right. I mean, this has been fantastic for them.
3: Yeah, it's been it's been incredible. This is their biggest breakout TV series hit ever. They said um, on the earnings call yesterday that one hundred and forty two million member households have watched this show in the first four weeks and it knocked. Uh, Brigerton out of the top spot. Um, And what's really interesting about this kind of breakout hit is that it wasn't produced in Hollywood, meaning that it wasn't exported out. And, And Netflix has been very good at making a point of looking for local content, TV shows and movies in the markets that they are actually in. And this just happened to blow up because it's kind of exported out. Well, every-
0: Should we step back? Does it not I sure. mean, far be it for me to believe that not everybody has seen Squid Game? I know that enough, you know, but I mean, if, you, if 142 million households have, then um, I guess I'm one of those. I'm, I'm, I'm outside of that 142 million. That said, I have I have seen one episode. It's very violent. It is. Right? It is it's like, it is
3: very violent. Yeah, it's sort of like the prisoner meets Fortnite. So it's like, right. you know, these 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 um, basically people are sort of in this kind of uh, I guess like a area unknown area. They're sort of kidnapped in this weird way and have to play these games in order to make you know to to get the jackpot because they are all. All the contestants have been struggling in their life in some way, shape, or form.
0: Um, and it's South Korea. And just to be clear, that South Korea, yeah. which is also the place that brought us *Parasite*, which was also a yeah. bit of a parable about uh, income inequality. And and what you have in in *Squid Game*, which is kind of interesting, it's not just an interesting financial story because it's Netflix. It's actually a really interesting story about it's basically people in the poorhouse. These are people who owe money, right? And they they go to extraordinary uh lengths to try to pay back their debtors which means they end up in this hunger games type scenario um which we won't spoil it well, i can't because i only saw one episode
1: but <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. but people <laughs> literally die <laughs> no
0: no no like, a lot like i you know spoiler yes in yeah. the first episode you get the idea pretty quickly let's put it yeah. that way yeah but but it, so they launched it in september 17th like like a month ago right and what effect has it had on uh, subscribers for Netflix.
3: So they every quarter they forecast ahead what they think they're going to get in in new subscribers, and their forecast for this past quarter was 3.5 million new net subscribers additions. They actually way overshot the mark and got 4. Point, roughly 4.4 million, and I think in large part because of Squid Game. And you know it just shows that if you have a hit show and a hit series, it does help bring in subscribers. And you know, they have talked about this and and their competitors have talked about this as well. I mean Disney has said like, you know, because we don't have a ton of content or there's a backlog of content, you know, our subscription growth might be wonky. So, you know, having a hit, and I know it sounds obvious, but it's a big deal to the
0: business. Right, right. And so how big a deal? Like say so they spent what, like 20 million dollars the series
3: yeah roughly yeah Bloomberg Bloomberg reported they that they spent you know roughly around 20 million dollars and Internal metrics for Netflix, they value it at almost 900 million. So we don't know exactly what that means within Netflix. Yeah, what does that
0: mean? Is that like net present value or just like the total revenue based on the number of new subscribers? What do you think?
3: Yeah, I mean, it could just also mean that it is, you know, just simply if you just put some math on it, it could represent, you know, 7 million subscribers, new subscribers, keeping subscribers, attention signing new people up so that that's you know that's valuable
0: to them right so what's the, so they've done this before with the lupin in france mm-hmm. right that was another one so i don't know what do you is this like their new their, it's, is it in a way used to be that hollywood was conquering the world you know yeah. shoving shoving uh, the world's eyeballs uh in front of you know blockbusters michael right. bay and all that kind of
3: it actually seems like it's kind of working
0: the other way around
3: Yeah. And that's what's interesting about this is that it is kind of the reverse. And, you know, in some ways, if you have, as you said earlier, your tentacles into all different markets and you can find things and you might be able to find things that are much less, uh, you know, that are cheap (laughs) to produce versus, you know, the typical Hollywood big blockbuster, um, you know,
0: franchise. All right. Well, that's fascinating. I'm now. It's it's late here in London. You're in New Jersey. Um, I probably have enough time to watch. I don't know episode two. <laughs> I'm going to for- do that now. All right. Bye. Thanks, Jen.
1: Bye. That's all for this week. You can find more Breaking Views podcasts on Spotify, SoundCloud, Acast, or wherever else you get your podcast kicks. Tune in next week.
3: Bye.